to welcome everyone here this morning. Happy Easter to everyone. Should we open with 78? At the end of the service, then there will be a baptism. 78. to see everybody out this morning. <clears throat> I'm going to begin by reading a few verses. <clears throat> Excuse me, if I can make it through this. The uh, last chapter of Matthew. 
In the end of the Sabbath, that was beginning to, as it began to dawn the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment was white as snow. And for fear of him did the keepers shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as I have told you. I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think that those are some of the be- most beautiful words any individual has ever heard when, when the angel tells her that he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Shall we spend a few moments in prayer here? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for a beautiful Sunday morning, a beautiful Easter morning, and that we thank you for that Easter story where we learn of our Savior who came to this world and and in the end fought, fought all wrongdoing and rose victorious over it so that you and I might receive the gift of salvation. We thank thee for these things. We thank thee for this day and this gathering. We thank thee for this community offering us these services even where we can gather freely even as many in the world don't see that and know that. And we thank thee for that fellowship we can have around this story of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection, and all these things. We can look on these things, and and as John says, we can handle them and see them, this word of life who became flesh and dwelt among us. Watch over all those that may not be able to gather this morning for one reason or another, sickness or health or distance, whatever it may be. Watch over the leaders of our nations, our communities, our schools, our churches, all these things. We know that without thy guiding hand, we're like a ship without a sail or a rudder. We have no direction. So we thank thee for these things and we ask thy presence. And we ask that even though we be few in number, that as we gather in the name of thy son Jesus, we can rest on that promise that where two or three are gathered in his name, that he will be here with us and amongst us in power and in spirit. Be with our speaking brother, that this word could be opened to him and to each of us as individuals that this word can be a living word in each of our hearts and lives. Give us guidance. Give us direction. Give us an understanding of which way to turn with 
each of our decisions, whether they be great or small. Hear us now as we pray together that prayer thy son Jesus taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
May we be greeted this morning with greetings of grace and mercy and peace from God our Heavenly Father to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As George has already prayed, I would, I guess, covet your prayers that the Spirit of God would open this word to us and that it would open all of our hearts also that that story which I'm sure we are familiar with could be made new in our hearts this morning and that knowledge of what God through Christ accomplished for us in this that we commemorate here at Easter time could bring us joy and refresh our hearts and that we could even this morning take this time to turn our thoughts and our hearts to matters that are beyond these natural things that are matters of eternity and that we could be reassured and our hearts brought that message that it was done for me. And that each of us could say that for ourselves. And that it could be the thought in our hearts and in our souls. That this that was accomplished on the cross those many years ago was for each of us. For a text this morning, I'll turn to the Gospel of John. I will read a portion of the 20th chapter, starting at the first. I'll read through the 23rd verse, reading in Jesus' name. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen cloth lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen cloth lying. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the sepulchre, that he might rise again from the dead. Sorry, knew not the scripture, that he might rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without the sepulchre, weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre. And seeing two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Lord, sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me 
where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and your father, and to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. Then the same day at even, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus, and stood in the midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Amen. The resurrection and the occurrences that happened there, they are recorded in each of the Gospels. And each of them has a few different details. And it is sometimes difficult to know where to take a text. But it seemed that we would turn to John this morning. It begins that the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene. We many times question why it is that we gather on Sunday. The Bible, we know that it speaks to gather on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath. And I believe that even this happening, we see as we get further into this text that it mentions that they were all gathered together. And we realize that we are in the portion of time where the promise that was given beginning with Adam and Eve, that God promised that he would send that Christ and that salvation of mankind would be accomplished, it has been done. We live in, we call it the new covenant. We know that God gave a covenant to Abraham and he renewed it and brought it and it is recorded of him speaking to many of those in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and even at Christmas time we celebrate the fact that the beginning of that promise could be seen. And that Christ child came to this world. And it is something to be celebrated. That message that we can be assured that when God makes a promise, he accomplishes it. And yet, the truth of the matter is, is that <clears throat> what is remembered at Easter time, and it is, I guess, difficult to put importance upon these things, but we see the fulfillment of that promise. Adam and Eve, and I mentioned this Friday when we had service, 
God put them in the Garden of Eden, and he gave them one rule. And we know the story, they were not able to keep even that one rule that God laid out for them. And we know that if we look through the Old Testament laws, and even if we just look at that portion that we call the Ten Commandments, we as people, if we are willing to be honest with ourselves, we look at those things and can very quickly recognize that we fall short. And the Bible tells us that even the best that we do on our own is as filthy rags before God. And yet it also tells us that our God demands complete perfection of us. And we walk in our lives on a daily basis and we recognize very quickly if we are willing to be honest with ourselves, that we fall short of what God would want for us. And the Bible tells us that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. We live in this world and we look around us and we see it would appear that there is a lot that is very contrary to what God would desire. There is a lot that you could say is just plain evil. And it can get disheartening even as Christians to look at those things. We see the difference between how God deals and how people deal. It is God's desire to look and work with the hearts of people, of individuals. And if we look into the Bible, we see that there is great value put upon every single heart and every single human being in this world. And yet God is, he does not come down and force people. He gives that gift full and free of salvation and that you can turn by faith to him. And what we commemorate at Easter time is the fulfillment of that promise and that Savior came. And we know the story. He died and shed his blood that payment would be made for what we fall short. And it is something that is beyond our natural reasoning. And it is something that God desires that, if I put it this way, He desires that that message would go past our mind and that it would rest on our hearts. And I would hope that we could take those things and not try to reason them out. But see, does this answer with my heart? Does what this message of what this gospel tells us, does it bring reassurance and peace to our hearts? That is what God 
is desiring. This tells us here, and it tells us of Mary coming. And we know the story that Joseph of Arimathea, he took down the body and it was coming near to the Sabbath. And so he laid it in the tomb. And if we would have looked into that portion just before George read there in Matthew, it tells us that the um, scribes and Pharisees, they had heard that Jesus was going to rise again from the dead. And they wanted to make very sure that this didn't happen. They took and even sealed the tomb and put soldiers there that they said his disciples will probably come and steal the body and say that he rose again. And we recognize that in spite of man's best efforts, an angel came and the stone was rolled away and he rose again from the dead. And Mary comes here and she sees that it's been taken away. This stone is gone. And she runs and tells Peter and John what she's seen. And they go there to see for themselves. We see further down there that he comes and appears to the disciples. And shows them his hands and his feet. And I just mention that because if we read a little further we get the story of Thomas and we know the story of doubting Thomas and he is called that because he says well unless he sees these things he's not going to believe and yet these other ones they were shown these things and then they believed we as people living in the time we do We don't have that opportunity to actually physically see the hands and feet of Christ. But we do have the benefit of it being recorded for us. And I think that many of the, or much of the reason that this is recorded here, and the details of what happened is recorded, so that we as people can understand. This isn't some story. This is actual occurrences. And we can be sure that God sent Jesus here to die for us. And he took our sins upon himself. It says not only did he take those sins, but he became sin for us. And he made payment for them because we do not have the ability to. The best that we can do falls short of what God demands in perfection. And if someone was only to hear that, that God demands absolute perfection and we as people can't achieve that, it would be a very disheartening story. And we know that we speak of the gospel message and that means the the good news, if we put it And that doesn't sound like very good news, that we cannot achieve to be good enough for what God demands. And that could bring just plain hopelessness to a heart. And it is why I would hope that us as people who understand and know these facts 
we would never leave someone in that place. That we would bring this message that Jesus arose. We can go through these things that are here. And we know that in the one place it is recorded, and this is almost just history, but we know that the temple was built and there was different places and there was the holiest of holy as where the mercy seat was. And there was a heavy curtain in front of that that only the high priest could go in there once a year and then only if he brought blood. And it is recorded that when Jesus died that that veil was torn in two. We see a picture and we know what happened in that holiest of holies. The priest brought blood as sacrifice for the sins of the people. And the fact that that was opened up allows us to know and to believe that that mercy seat is available to all of us. If we come there with the blood of Christ, it isn't something that we can bring. We come there as sinners, seeking that there could be forgiveness for me. Not because of what I've done, but because of what my Savior has done. We have that privilege of coming and standing before Almighty God, and I'll put it very much in my terms. And if someone feels that this doesn't line up with what the Scripture says, please bring that to me. But it's like we can come and say, God, I'm a sinner, I'm unperfect. But there's one here that has said he will stand in my place. And he will take my sin and I can take his perfection and righteousness for me. The word of God tells us that's how it is. What a privilege as people to understand that. And may we put our faith And God says it is enough. And he sees us through what Christ has done as perfect. And if we look at those things and we are so human with our minds, there's always almost everything we do. If we are working, we're doing it for pay. Many times people do favors for people and often there's some a favor expected in return and we look at things in a balance oftentimes and we look at so many religions in the world and it works on a balance that your good would outweigh the bad and there's a hope that it, when you die that the good that you've done outweighs the bad that you have done we as Christians have a privilege of knowing. We read in the Old Testament, it's recorded in a couple places of God, that he works with a plumb line. And we know, I hope, how a plumb line works. You take a string and you put a weight on the bottom and it hangs directly vertical. 
there's a right side and a left side or one side and the other side. And either side goes directly up. We as people have that privilege because of what Christ has done for us of standing directly before God and we can stand by faith in the righteousness of what Christ has done. And we can be assured that we are on the right side or the left side and in the end it says that God will be there and there will be those on the right hand and on the left hand. It isn't a matter of being in a balance. It's a matter of do you believe that what Christ has done is enough to pay for what your failures? And the Bible tells us it is. And we have that privilege and understanding that knowing, we call it the Word of God. And that Spirit of God that we ask, even as George prayed, that it would be here in our midst. <coughs> It can make this word alive in a heart and make it and give us faith to believe it is so. We see here that Peter and John that they came and they looked and John or Peter goes into there and he sees that the linen clothes are lying there. And it says the napkin that was about his head was not lying with the linen clothes, but was wrapped together in a place by itself. <coughs> Excuse me. If we look back, and there's the story of Lazarus, and we know that he died, and, and he was in the grave for a number of days. And Jesus comes, and it says he calls him and tells him to come out of the grave. And it says that his head was wrapped in a napkin. And Jesus tells him to take it off him. <clears throat> we see here that, and I believe that it is recorded that it was laid separate from the other things so that we can see that it was in the power of Christ that he came to life. And death was overcome and there is we can look into that holiest of holies. <clears throat> and that Spirit of God can open our eyes and our hearts to that message of what was accomplished for us on the cross. <clears throat> and it's an interesting thing here. It says, when they saw this, he believed. I pray that our hearts could see that Christ arose <clears throat> and we could believe that. <clears throat> so then the disciples went away unto their own home. But Mary stood without of the sepulchre weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre. And seeing two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. <clears throat> and when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. 
Here, just in this chapter, we see how Jesus works differently with each individual. John went into the sepulcher and he saw the the grave clothes laying there. And he was able to believe that his Savior had risen. Here we see Mary. She's still standing outside the sepulcher. And there is sorrow in her heart because she is thinking that what she had put her trust in was gone. Not only was he dead, but his body wasn't even there anymore. The angels tell her that, ask her why she's weeping. She tells them. And then it tur- she turns around and we see that Jesus is standing there. And we see the love of our Savior for individual hearts. She was in sorrow. And Jesus said to her, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to to my Father. And this is something that it is hard for my mind to comprehend. And probably many of you have heard me say this. But many of the things when we are talking in the Bible, we recognize that we as people live in time. God works outside of time, and it is something that is beyond my mind. We are natural beings, and no matter how we try to be, we're constricted by time. God is not that way. And we are dealing with matters that are beyond our understanding, matters of spirit. And Jesus, we know, rose from the dead. And there's a period of time here where he's not went to God. And yet, he cares. Sorry, for some reason my emotions are close to the surface. And yet, he cares enough for Mary to come there and speak to her. And he speaks to her by name. And I don't think that it is a bad thing for any of us. If we are struggling to believe the truth of what Jesus cares for us, that we could ask him to reveal himself to us. It is his desire to do that. So much so that he took this opportunity to come to Mary when she was struggling. And he gives her instructions. And I don't think it would be any different for any of us if Christ comes and reveals to our heart who he is for us. He would encourage even as he said, go to my brethren and say unto them. He encourages us if that message, if we can believe it and it is in our heart, share it with others. There is no more important message in this world. It's going to go from past death 
We are dealing with matters that, if I say, are more important than natural life and death. We're dealing with spiritual life and spiritual death. And I don't think any more than that we can comprehend the goodness that there is in heaven in the presence of God, that we can comprehend the horrors that is in hell away from God. And the truth of the matter is, is our, your worst enemy in this world, you would not want them there. And so if God gives opportunity to share what Christ has done for you with anybody, we are encouraged to do it. It's an interesting thing in the end of the Mark when, when Jesus gives that, we call it the Great Commission, and we will look into it as we get down further in our text here, but he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It doesn't put limits on any individual that we can't share that message with them. Jesus didn't come and just <clears throat> make payment for certain people. It says he made payment for everybody. <coughs> and in knowing that, it isn't speaking that we share it with animals and all those things. But any person... Christ died for them. There's nobody that is such a sinner that Jesus didn't pay for what they have done. We can believe that. And if we know it for ourselves, <clears throat> and I think it is something that I'm sure many of us can relate, when God, through His Spirit, works in our heart and we see what we are and we recognize that he forgave me it's very easy to share that with someone else and believe that Jesus paid for them also <clears throat> it says and Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and she spoke and he had spoken spoken these things unto her. It's, and I already said it, but I would encourage all of us, if we know this for ourselves, and many times if we are talking to someone about matters of salvation, we look at this word of God and there is so much depth to it, and it's where do you even begin to share with someone the fullness of what God has done. But we see here that Mary just, it says she went and told the disciples what the Lord had said to her. I will say it this way. Just share with anybody what Jesus has done for you. There's no more powerful message. Because for you, it is not something that's some theory or some story. You know it. You've experienced that for yourself. You believe it because it's yours. Share that. It's that simple. 
It says, then the same day at even, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them and said, peace be unto you. It is something, I think, for us to remember that when Jesus comes, he comes to bring peace to a heart. He brings, comes to bring peace to an individual. <clears throat> the Bible tells us, speaks to about of a peace that passes understanding. <clears throat> it's because a heart has a peace between it and God. And it doesn't matter what the world is going through. And it can be very troublesome and it can bring concern or worry or even fear at times to us seeing what's going on. But we have a peace of knowing that it doesn't matter what man does. God has put that faith in the heart and it is sure and it is secure. And we can believe that and trust it. That is what Jesus desires to do is to bring peace to a heart. Peace to an individual. He said, Then when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. It says there, Jesus promised that he, when he went away, he would send the Comforter or the Holy Spirit. And I should just read it so I don't misquote it a little bit. And it says, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. That Spirit will bring those, that message of what Christ has done. He will show to a heart that Jesus died on the cross, his hands and his feet and those wounds. That they were, are real. They were real. And he died for us. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. How did God send Jesus? He sent him here in a humble manner, to walk obedient to God. We hear people say oftentimes that Jesus came and we we're to walk as he did. And that is true. But if we know what Jesus came, the big thing he came to do was to accomplish our salvation, which is recorded that he did. We also read in there that he raised people from the dead. He brought blind people's sight lame people to walk. We don't see much of that happening. Yes, we do see some miracles. Our salvation is accomplished. We, don't, we are discouraged from trying to do anything to add to that because it only takes away from what Christ has done. So I think we need to look a little deeper as to what it is that Christ, how he came. 
And put simply, he came to walk obedient to the will of God. And it is the same for us. Jesus tells them here, as God has sent me, I'm sending you. He's encouraging us to walk obedient to the will of God for each of us individually. And yes, we have some things that are universal, but each of us is an individual. And already we read there how God worked with John that he could believe, and then how he worked with Mary that she could believe. Each of us has a different walk in life. And so we are to look, how does God want me to walk? What is the Spirit of God directing in my life? Yes, we can have concerns about someone else, and oftentimes the Spirit will put on our heart to go and encourage someone or speak to something, someone about something that perhaps we're worried about them. But we can trust that if the Spirit works in my heart, it can work in their heart also. And we are to listen to that still, small voice. How is it directing me to walk? And we are to be obedient to it because that is what Christ is encouraging us to do. said, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. It is, if I say to me, the simplest definition of a living Christian. The fact that the Spirit of God dwells in that heart. It's that simple. And it is something that we cannot produce. We can't give someone that Spirit. We can share the message of what Christ has done. We can share the message of what Christ has done for me. We can assure them and encourage them to believe it, but it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Christ gives that. Christ, through his spirit, opens that word to a heart. And it is an important thing here that happens after he gives them the Holy Ghost. And we know that it is recorded at the day of Pentecost that the Holy Ghost came upon them in power. And so we see that God gives that spirit and sometimes he gives it in power. And when he gives his spirit in power, there's miraculous things that can happen. But we see here that even receiving it it gives us a commission. He says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. We know that story. I just talked about it. And we are encouraged to believe it and share it with others. That Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. Because we know that... <clears throat> When Adam and Eve sinned, that it drove a wedge in that relationship between God and man. Jesus took care of that problem. Sin no longer has to be a problem. If we're going to hold on to it and try to take care of it ourselves and do enough good and live in such a way that it will 
God will look favorably upon us, the Bible says it's not enough. And if we are struggling to believe that what we have done and that weight of sin that is on our heart is so much that how could God look favorably on me? It tells us that we are to come boldly to that altar of mercy. I already talked about how that veil was rent in two and that it was open to that holiest of holies where that mercy seat is found and we are to come boldly there. I'm sure any of us who's had to come and confess of something that we've done wrong, you don't feel like you're coming very boldly. And it doesn't mean, and I will use the two words, oftentimes we can put boldness with perhaps brazen. We are to come humbly and contrite, but boldly in the fact that we have full assurance that those things are paid for. That Christ's blood covered them. <clears throat> and as Christians, it says, whoever sins, we re- that we remit. It isn't us forgiving them. And I like to turn to that portion where it tells us that we are the ambassadors of God. And maybe I repeat this too often, but please bear with me. We know that an ambassador lives in, er, is from one country and is in a a different country that is not his home country. And in being the ambassador, he has the full authority of the government from the country that he came from to proclaim whatever that government tells him to proclaim. Anything that he comes up with on his own, he doesn't have that authority to make statements. But whatever his leader tells him, he has full authority of that government to proclaim. We are called the children of God, and it tells us that in something that is beyond our reasoning, we are already in heaven. The Spirit of God dwells us, and as his ambassadors, we have the full authority of God to proclaim what he tells us to. And here Jesus tells us that we are to encourage people to believe their sins forgiven. We have that authority, not because of who we are in our natural flesh, but who we are because the Spirit of God dwells in us. It isn't something that we proclaim, it's something that we are the lips of God proclaiming. And we encourage people, and this morning I would encourage all of us to believe that. Believe that message because of the blood of Christ shed on the cross and because he rose again from the dead. Our sins are forgiven. And we can stand before God without fear of judgment because Jesus took it on himself. That is the essence of the gospel message. It doesn't matter how much someone is struggling or how big the sin that they're struggling with. They, they can believe that. It is washed away by the blood of Christ and we are free. And it brings peace to a heart. And may that message of what Christ accomplished on the cross 
and through his resurrection that we remember at Easter, be entrenched and refreshed in our hearts every day that God gives us to walk in this world. That it could be so sure to us that we would feel free to share it with others. May God add his blessing to his word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Shall we close with 77 and then we will have a baptism?
the parents and godparents would like to come forward, please.
baptize thee, Arnold, Daniel, Prada, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with thee now and ever henceforth. Amen. Let us give thanks and pray. O innocent Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, thou who lovest children and therefore bade them to come unto thee, thou who placed thy hands upon them and blessed them, saying, Theirs is the kingdom of God. We pray thee, but graciously, and thou this child, who also needs thy holy blessing, that he has to baptize him the holy name with water, and that he also, by the power of the Holy Spirit, may prosper and grow and be filled. With all good gifts unto thy holy, thy honor and glory, thou who reignest with God the Father and the Holy Ghost, world without end. Amen. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his hands upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear friends, you are witnesses to this child. baptized in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Therefore I exhort you, parents and godparents, early to teach this child that which our Lord Jesus Christ in his word has commanded us, so that he may grow in the grace and knowledge of God and our Redeemer Jesus Christ. Abiding in this covenant wherein God in his grace has received him through the merits of Jesus Christ our Lord. To this end may God give you his grace. Amen. Glory be to God, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it is in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The peace of God be with you.